Well, I got a short, short joke this morning. What kind of murderer has moral fiber? Answer, a serial killer, of course. That would be C-E-R-E-A-L. Um, some people don't get it. You need to think about it. See, now, now we're really showing... Now, we're really showing, though, our prejudice here. This is a computer-generated joke. That's true. The computers are now generating jokes. So if you don't like the joke, you can just blame the computer, all right? So not too shabby on that. All right, this morning I, I want to talk about a very important subject, convictions. Convictions. And I've entitled the message, What Are Your Convictions? Lord, I do love humor, but... Now we turn to something very serious, which is your word of God. And I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. That you would put the cold on my lips, and I would just speak your words. I thank you for each person here. You brought them here. You have something for them. Give them soft hearts, I plead. Give them ears to hear to receive what you would have for them. I pray we walk out of here different than when we walked in. Just be glorified now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just exalt Jesus. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. So what are your convictions? You have to understand that your convictions are what drive your life. They are what drive my life. Howard Hendricks was a professor I had in seminary, profoundly impacted me in He once said these penetrating words. Listen to them. Too many people cozy up to all the nice parts of God, his love, mercy, and forgiveness, but conveniently forget about the inconvenient parts of his character, namely his justice, wrath, and holiness. They are quick to insist that God is love, but forget the scriptures that declare that he is also holy, holy, holy. Hendricks went on to say this, people who live this sort of shallow spirituality come across as phony. They may act as though they know the deep truths of God, but it's all a facade. Faced with a crisis, their faith cannot sustain them. Sadly, in my ministry, all too often I've seen this occur. The prophet Elijah was the genuine article, no phony baloney here, Elijah jumps out of the pages of the Old Testament in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17. That rustic renegade from the rural regions comes bursting into that bloated toad palace, King Ahab, and he delivers this message, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles, it will be up on the screen. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, There will be no dew or rain until the next few years, until I give the word. Now, the backdrops to Elijah's exhortation to King Ahab is found in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 16. Tim put up those verses. But Ahab, son of Omri, Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the other kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the Lord to anger 
than the God, the God of Israel than any other king of Israel before him. Wow. You know, King, king Ahab had the, Genesis, or, or the Guinness Book of World Records for sinning. Now, some of you thought you had that record. But he holds it. And not only did Ahab enjoy sinning, he enjoyed leading people to sin. Let me tell you something. It's one thing for you and I to sin. It's one thing for you and I to do our own thing. It's another whole banana to cause people to stumble. Do you remember Jesus' words? Better that a millstone be tied around Frank Ray's neck than I cause anybody to stumble. That's a word to the wise. Elijah, the man of God, stood in stark contrast to the soft, self-indulgent King Ahab. Question, how does a person become an Elijah? How do you become a person of incredible conviction like Elijah in a soft, self-indulgent generation like we live in America? You know, the temptation is to believe that Elijah was unique, cut from a different cloth. That would be wrong thinking, though. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. Elijah was as human as we are. In other words, you cut Elijah and he would bleed. But there is one significant difference. When you cut Elijah, he bled bibline. The word of God coursed through this man's veins. What about you? What about you? What about me? So what caused Elijah to be such a man of conviction? Two things for your consideration and my consideration this morning. Number one, Elijah was convinced of the reality of God. Elijah was convinced of the reality of God. Notice the first recorded words of Elijah again. He says this, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Elijah was certain of one thing. He was certain that God lives. And if God lives, then that means that God reigns and not the puny gods of this world. The puny gods of this world may intoxicate your flesh. They may intoxicate my flesh. But you know what? They can never satisfy, never satisfy your soul or my soul. Have you ever noticed that the most convincing thing about Christianity is, and I'm talking about true Christianity now, is its power to change, to transform a human life. You know, that is what makes Christianity, real Christianity, the greatest revolutionary force on planet Earth. Let me ask you a very, very important question this morning. Now listen to this. What is there in your life that cannot be explained on any other basis than the supernatural? What in your life is just proof positive that there must be a God? Please note, I didn't ask you if you believe in God. I'm sure you probably do. In fact, the vast majority of Americans believe in a higher power. My question is this. Now listen to this. What real changes are occurring in your life that demonstrate to a world that is just screaming for proof that God lives and he reigns, and he's moving, and he's working in your life. You know, when Susan and I got married, she's not here, so I can 
I got free reign right now. But when Susan and I got married, I began to notice that she had some defects in her personality. And I would pray to God. I would say, Lord, you need to fix Susan. You need to help her fix these problems. Now, unbeknownst to me, she was looking at my life and saw that I had some defects. Now, I realize that's hard to believe. Now, she was a lot more sophisticated, though, than I was. She actually had a prayer journal. So she would write her prayers down in the prayer journal, and you would see things like, Lord, help Frank with his anger. Lord, help Frank to be more of a sensitive guy. Lord, help Frank not to be such a jerk. And then you would flip a few pages later and you would see, Lord, Frank was a bigger jerk today. How come you're not answering my prayer? And you know what? Sadly, this went on. Seriously, this went on for years. And then I remember one day I ran across a book, and and I cannot remember the title of the book. But I'll tell you what, the author hit me right between the eyes. He said this, listen to this. If you want your spouse to change, if you want your children to change, ask God to change you. And I, said, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I'm not the problem Susan is. Now, this author was pretty smart because he anticipated that response. He did, he did. And he said this, listen, I challenge you to pray this prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your sin and shortcomings that you need to repent of and he needs to change in you. I'm going to say it again. He said, I challenge you to pray this prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your sin and shortcomings that you need, Frank, to repent of and he needs to change in you. Trust me, that is a That is a prayer that God would love. He's just waiting to answer in your life and in my life. Question, how do I convince the world that God is really real? How do I convince the world that there really is a God up there? You know what the answer is? Listen to this now. The answer is this, by revealing his life through my changed life. Did you hear that? I am going to convince people of the reality of God by my life changing and his life living through me. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ, the Holy Spirit, living through me. By the way, do you have a person or two or three, who you have personally invited to speak into your life, to tell you the truth about your life, and then hold you accountable for the changes you need to make. Now, I'm going to ask you again, do you have a person or two or three that you've asked to speak into your life? Truth. And when they speak it, you can't get angry, you can't get all mad, And huff away because, see, they're your friend. Did you know that? Your friend is the one who will tell you the truth. And then your friend is the one who will stick there with you when they know the truth and hold you accountable for those changes. All right. 
Secondly, Elijah was a man of conviction because he was convinced he was a representative of God for his generation. Now listen again to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. Elijah says to that bloated toad, King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I, the God I, please note who serves who. Elijah served God. God did not serve Elijah. You know, I'll tell you, you know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and what is really bothering me about American Christianity, you know, I challenge you to read the New Testament. And and so often we have the idea that, you know, we come to God, and God is so lucky to have Frank Ray, of course. Right? I mean, God was really lucky when I decided to come into his kingdom. And we have the idea that that Jesus is here for me and and the goal of Christianity is to figure out how I can twist the God of the universe and and, and get his power and favor into my life so that I can kind of live the life that I want. No, and this is, seriously, this is the Christianity that you hear preached. So, I mean, I listen, I've begun to listen to messages all across the country and it's blowing my mind how how. Preachers are selling Jesus down the river. I had one, uh, listen to one guy, and he goes, just, 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 and he's like pleading, he's groveling. Would you, would you please taste Jesus? Just, just see if he works for you. Are you kidding me? You, that's not how it works. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. And see, when you get it right, when you get it right, when Frank gets it right that I serve him and he doesn't serve me, things really begin to change. How often do you wake up and just say, Lord, Frank Ray reporting for service this morning. What would you like me to do in my wife's life, in my children's life? How would you like me to serve my neighbor? How would you like me to work and, 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 and really encourage my coworkers? Holy Spirit, please fill me, fill me so that I can do your bidding. How often do you pray any prayer like that? Once a week, twice a week? Maybe just once in your lifetime. You see, can you imagine how your life No, no. Can you imagine how your life and your relationships would change? Forget the seminars. I'm telling you, this is is so basic and elementary. If if you just woke up and just said, Lord, I'm yours. Teach me how to serve like Jesus served. See, that's not natural. I can't do it. You can't do it. You, You cannot do it. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's a supernatural life. So I got to ask, you got to ask, so fill me so that I can do your bidding. Elijah impacted. He makes a difference in his generation because he had one objective in life. You know what his objective was? To please God. Just to please God. Can you honestly say that is your objective? You know, some time ago, probably about seven or eight years ago, Last time I remember really being asked a question in some form. But I was asked, you know, what, why do you stay in Del Mar, New York? When you, you, when you could have, you know, such a fruitful ministry if you go south. You know, that's, that's, you know, 
much more spiritual and religious if you go south or or the Midwest. And, And my response, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me when I can have an associate like this? Tim, put up the picture. I mean, nowhere can you get an associate like that. Nowhere. And you got him. I just had to get that in. I only got a few more shots at him. Actually, my response to the question was this. I said, you know, when I was in seminary, I was essentially taught preach and they will come. Now, inherent in that was the idea that if you could preach, you know, then people would start coming. And if people would start coming, guess what you're supposed to do when you start coming? No, no, no. Greenbacks, greenbacks. See, you give money, and when you give money, guess what I can do? See, I can hire staff people. You know why you hire staff people? So that they can put on program. Americans love program. Give me the full service church. And the church begins to grow. You don't even need the Holy Spirit. Really, it's a simple formula. It works. And, and, and to my embarrassment, when I was in seminary, I wanted a big church. Now, of course, it was all for Jesus. It, no, it's amazing how you can rationalize. No your wickedness in your heart. And, and, and no, it wasn't all for Jesus. It was going to be all for Frank. And so I come out, and I'm nowhere prepared really at all. Of course, I've got my seminary degrees, so it says that I'm ready to, to minister. That was kind of a joke. But minister I did. So my first church, as you know, was out in California, 12 families. I preached my heart out and I quickly drove it down to 11 families. But the church actually began to grow. But it didn't grow as fast as I wanted it to. So I began looking to greener pastures and I ended up in a place called Houston, Texas. And I won't bore you with the details, making a long story short, it turned out to be my Waterloo. It really did for a whole raft of reasons. And you know what God was doing in my life? See, he took his cosmic needle, his heavenly needle, and inserted it into my inflated head. You say, well, God didn't love me. Yes, he did. No, no. You see, God was really loving me by deflating my head. I finally got to the point where I cried out, Lord, Whatever you can do with my pathetic life, I'm ready to serve you. And it wasn't long after that, I got a call, a telephone call of the blue from a place in Del Mar, New York. You know that? It's called Bethlehem Community Church. This is a true story. And, and uh, this guy, he doesn't even come to the church. You know, I, you know, he calls me out of the blue. I don't even know how they got my resume. And uh, I <laughs> And, uh, you know, I come up here, and I just remember we were in the old, old sanctuary, and it, it, it was just empty. And I said, this place is more broken than I am. And it, it's amazing what God can do. But you know what God said to me? Here's what he said to me. He said, Frank, I'm giving you this ministry, but this time it's on my terms. You will not run. You will not hide. You will not leave. Until I tell you, 
You will not be released until I tell you. You will now serve me. I am not serving you. Here I stand. Do you know almost to the day, 24 years later, do you know that? 24 years later. And sad to say, much of the 24 years has been God working in me. Seriously. God working in me what he needed to work. And it took me 24 years to figure out that the church was really about him and making disciples. And I have finally completed what he did call me to do. It just took me a while to do that, and I am sorry, really, for that. But I do want to say this to you. I want you to understand that life rarely turns out like you think it will. No, really. Life rarely turns out how you think it will or you would even like it. Do you really think Moses thought he would spend 40 years at DTS, Desert Theological Seminary? Do you think Moses thought he would spend 40 years leading 2 million-plus stiff-necked people? Check it out. And he goes round and round in the Sinai Desert. That's all he did for 40 years. Do you think he thought that's what was going to happen, that was going to be his life? No, he didn't. No way! Did he believe that that was going to be his life? But you know why Moses did it? Because he served God. He served God. His life was about serving God. Now, I'm going to ask you, have you come to that conviction? Have you developed the conviction that your life is about God, not about your dreams, your goals, and your desires? Now, let me challenge us. Elijah impacts his generation. Why? Because he was a man of conviction. And because he was a man of conviction, he impacts people for God and for his kingdom. And in fact, he leaves in Elisha. Did you know that? Elijah left in Elisha. You know, there's a Law of physics at play here. You know what the law of physics is? Hot things ignite things around them. Hot things ignite things around them. I'm going to ask you, who are you igniting for God? Who around you are you igniting for God? You know, many years ago, this is a true story. It took place in Detroit, and, and there was this crime wave going on, and this juvenile judge was battling this massive crime wave. And he, you know, he just juvenile after juvenile was just being hauled before him. And at one point, he becomes so totally exasperated by just the criminal activity. He asked one young offender this, where did you learn to do this stuff? And the adolescent replied, Rocco taught me. When the next case came up, he asked the question, who taught you to steal? The answer was the same. Rocco did. Now listen to this. Over the next three days, the judge found 33 juvenile delinquents who had picked up their criminal skills from the nefarious Rocco. He realized that maybe the way I can stem this wave of crime is to get Rocco. So he tells the district attorney, go find me Rocco. Two days later, Rocco is standing in front of the bench. Well, what do you have to say for yourself, the judge demanded. I got a jail 
full of minors whose lives you have completely corrupted. How in the world could you do such a thing? And the young man replied, Arako replied, Eddie taught me. Eddie taught me. You know what the church of Jesus Christ needs? We need a bunch of Roccos and Eddies. No, no. How is it that a gang member can make a gang member? But a Christian can't make a Christian. How is it? Do you know how a gang member makes a gang member? They find some kid. They find some kid on the fringes who doesn't have any love, who doesn't have anywhere to go. They grab him and say, hey, I'm going to love you. You're going to be part of the family. Let me show you how you'd be part of the gang. And they show them, and within six months to a year, they've been discipled into ganghood. See, this is what we're to be about. We're not to make gang members. We're to make little Jesuses. Did you know that? And how am I going to do it? How are you going to do it? Well, I have to be convinced of the reality of God. I have to be convinced so much that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can change my life. He can change your life. He can deliver. He can make you a new creation. No, no, he can. So that so much so that someone says, what are you, what are you smoking? What are you eating for breakfast? Because I, I, I got to have that love. I got to have that joy. I got to have that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that gentleness, that faithfulness. I, I want that. And the second thing you got to have is that your life is no longer your own. No, you were bought and paid for. You know, when Jesus took me pathetically at age 21, I knew I was forking my life over to his. He bought and he paid for me. Have you come? Have you come to the cross? No, no. I'm asking, have you come to the cross where you've really knelt down and realized that that person on the cross were moving to Good Friday and Easter Sunday? He paid for you. He bought you. He bought your freedom. And if if you've knelt, then you owe him your life. He's got an incredible plan for you to make a difference and for me to make a difference. Lord, oh, that we would allow. We, we, we need Elijahs. We need people of conviction. I ask as we sing this song that, Holy Spirit, I know you're working. That maybe for the first time some of us will just bow and finally surrender our lives completely and totally to the King of kings and the Lord of all lords who can make something out of nothing. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.